That's page 1179 in the Pew Bibles. That's Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. The title in the Pew Bible is Timothy and Epaphroditus. Verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he had served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he he almost died for the work of Christ risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Amen. And sandwiched either side with a call to the Christians at Philippi to be like Jesus. And if you wanted a a really simple definition of what it means to live the Christian life, it's simply that, to be like Jesus. Everybody knows that passage. Chapter 3, after this passage we've read, Paul gets on to some really serious business about warning the church in Philippi about false teachers who were traveling around, and it gets quite heavy. The verses that Andy read for us, at first glance, well, it's just a bit of business, isn't it? He's had this really heavy exhortation to encourage them to be like Jesus. He's going on to this serious warning, and then, oh, by the way, I'm going to send Timothy, I'm going to send Epaphroditus. This is the, the stuff that's going on. Just a little bit of business. In fact, I suspect if you were preparing a sermon series and you didn't have quite enough Sundays, you'd skip that bit. There's nothing in it. And yet, in those verses that Andy read, it's the most shocking statement in the whole of the letter. I wonder if you spotted it. I didn't notice any sort of (gasps) intakes of breath at it because we read these things and we don't, always pick up the impact of it, but there is a a statement that ought to shock us, and it's there in verse 21. And Paul says, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. Hey, he's talking about the church not talking about the world out there. He's talking about the church, and he says everybody's looking for themselves and not for Jesus. When you read the commentators, they, they have various ways of trying to sort of tone this down a little bit.
but it's a serious and a shocking statement. Even allowing for a bit of exaggeration to, um, for, to heighten the point that he's making about Timothy's qualities. What Paul is saying is, in the church here at Rome, because that's where Paul was, the general tendency is for people to put their own interests before the interests of Christ. To live according to their own agenda rather than to Christ's agenda. That's a shocking and disturbing statement. And on a Sunday when in a moment we're going to come and share bread and wine and reflect on all that Jesus has done for us, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. As we reflect on that, as we share in communion, it's good too to reflect on this question, my life, is it my agenda? Or Christ's agenda? In my job, my agenda, and my boss's agenda, and the company's agenda, and all the others, or Christ's agenda? In my family, my agenda, or Christ's agenda? Our life and our family is as much a part of our ministry as anything we do in the church. But who's controlling it? Who's directing it? In the church, my agenda, or Christ's agenda? And he announced about a church meeting that's coming up. Sometimes people foolishly say the Baptists have a democratic form of church government. That's not true. We have a theocratic form of government, a government led by God. And when the church meeting gets together, the ideal is this. We come to hear what God's agenda is, not to set our own agenda. Using my time. I'm too busy. I haven't got enough time. Do you know we've all got exactly the same time, 24 hours a day? My agenda or Christ's agenda? Using my home, my agenda or Christ's agenda? Using my money. We are some of the richest people who have ever lived on this planet. And I know we don't feel rich because we're not billionaires, are we? But we are rich. We have more than most people before us have ever dreamed of. My agenda, Christ's agenda. Good times, bad times, indifferent times, my agenda or Christ's agenda. Maybe when we come to that point in the service where we're sharing bread and wine and there's some quiet and you've got time to think, you can just do business with God and say, Lord, how much of my life is run according to my interests and my agenda and how much is truly what you want me to do? We've read a lot and seen on the news a lot about persecution of Christians in the Middle East. And whenever you see that kind of thing of people facing a stark choice, deny your faith or you lose your life, we sort of think, what would I do? I'll be honest, I haven't the foggiest idea. I know what I hope I would do. But actually, none of us knows that we're in that circumstance what we would do. But it's a stark choice, isn't it? Deny your faith, lose your life. And you think after reflecting on it for a minute, oh, I'm so glad that we don't have to face that choice. Let me let you in on a secret. We have to face that choice 
every day. Listen to the words of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. That's the challenge for each and every Christian. If you know Jesus as your Savior, he says, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. That's the only way of doing it. For most of us, that won't be somebody knocking on the door threatening to kill us. But it's a million choices every day, myself or Christ. And the crazy thing is, although we find it so difficult to follow Christ's agenda, yet it's the thing that really gives us what we're looking for. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, We could say weary and burdened by following your own agenda, by doing your own thing, by looking to your own interests. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If you want to take on the burden of your employer or you want to take on the burden of your family or you want to take on the burden of expectations at school or college or you want to take on the burden of anything else, it's going to be heavier than the burden that Jesus lays on us. And yet we still struggle. We want to go our way. We want to do our thing. We want to pursue our agenda. Take time this morning to change agendas. And to help us, we've got in this passage that was read two role models. One is Timothy, and one is Epaphroditus. What do we know about Timothy? Well, his mother, Eunice, was Jewish by birth. His father was a Greek, a Gentile. And Timothy was brought up as a Greek rather than as a Jew. He was brought up according to Greek culture and custom. His mother and his grandmother, Lois, um, became Christians and were famous for their faith. And it may be that when Paul went to uh, Lystra, which is probably where he lived, that he stayed with those women as well-known Christians. And there he met Timothy as a young man, maybe even just a young lad. And Timothy came to faith. Perhaps Paul himself led Timothy to faith. And fairly soon, Timothy became part of Paul's team. It wasn't always easy. Timothy was young. And in that culture, you deferred to age. They believed that wisdom came with age. Demonstration that that's not true. Um, Some of us... But that was the culture. You know, you didn't really respect younger people. He had to struggle against that. He wasn't always well. Paul says at one time, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. In other words, um, don't beat yourself to death. Drink what you need to keep yourself healthy. It's not an invitation to all go out and get drunk, but wine was used medicinally as well as in other ways in those days. So he struggled with his health. He struggled with being young, but he was part of Paul's team, and their relationship became, Paul says, like father and son. 
he says that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with a father, he, what would you expect? He's done everything I told him. That's what sons do for their fathers, isn't it? Dad says, jump, and the son jumps. Well, in a sort of fantasy world, but that's what you'd like. No, he doesn't say that. He says something really quite unusual. He says, Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me. Alec Matir in the BST commentary picks this up and paraphrases it and says, we were co-slaves. As a father and a son, we together were slaves of Jesus Christ. That's a picture of Christian ministry. It's not hierarchical. People have different jobs. People have different roles. Paul's role wasn't the same as Timothy's role. But it's not that here's one up here and here's somebody down there. We work together. Paul and Timothy worked together as slaves of Jesus. And Timothy wasn't seeking promotion or ambition or fame or anything else. He was happy to do whatever jobs needed to be done. William Barclay says, Timothy's the patron saint of all those who are content with second place as long as they can serve. And there's a question and a challenge for us, isn't it? What sort of jobs are beneath you? Do you ever think that, oh, I wouldn't do that because, well, it wouldn't really use my talents, wouldn't really use my gifts? Someone else could do that. I'm really looking for a job that's going to stretch me a bit. I'm going to looking for a job that, that's going to put me in the limelight, perhaps. No, we wouldn't say that. We just have that in the back of our mind. And yet slaves don't choose their own jobs. They're given the jobs by their master. And we need to challenge ourselves and say, what's, what's our area of service? What does God want us to do? You see, because... What seems a trivial job might actually be incredibly significant. We say, oh, well, cleaning the church, that's a tedious job, isn't it? And somebody else could do that. It might be as you're sweeping a floor or doing something like that, you get involved in that conversation with somebody else that couldn't occur at any other time or in any other situation, and God takes you and uses you to bless somebody, bring somebody, somebody to him, to heal you don't know. But Christ knows. That's why it's important. We're in the place where he wants us to be, doing the thing he wants us to do, even though we can't see what's going to work out from that. As we've been uh, going through this process of looking for a new senior minister, we've looked at the church and we've drawn up profiles and all that kind of thing. And we can say and say truthfully, this church does a, a lot of things, all sorts of activities, and we do them pretty well. And that's absolutely true. We could look at it another way. And we could say, there is so much more out there that we could do. What is it, somewhere between 5 and 8% of the population will go to church on a Sunday? 95% of the people who live around this building don't know anything about Jesus. They don't hear about him. They're not reached. There's so much more we could do. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And maybe again, as you're sitting in communion, reflecting on what Jesus has done for you, you need to be saying, Lord, am I one of the workers you want to send out? Where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to serve? There's an old prayer that I learned at school. I meant to write it down because I'm not very good at remembering things. But I will try and remember it. I think I got it more or less right in the nine o'clock. Teach us, good Lord, to serve thee as thou deservest, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wound, to labor and not to seek for any reward save that of knowing that we do thy will. That was written donkey's years ago. But it's a prayer that any one of us could adopt. And then there's another role model. There's this guy, Epaphroditus. What do we know about him? Well, the situation is Paul is in prison or house arrest, some sort of detention anyway, in Rome, and waiting trial. It can last a long time, that process. A prisoner awaiting trial can't really go out to work and earn a living, but they've got to support themselves. They're not fed and looked after, so they need family, friends, church, whatever, around them. The Philippians know that Paul's got needs. They're a long way away. They can't all come and look after him. So they send Epaphroditus with a gift of money and say, take this to Paul. He's going to need it for food and writing materials and all the other things that he will need. And Epaphroditus says, great, and I'll go there, and then I'll stay with Paul, and whatever he needs, I'll do it for him. I'll be his servant. I'll be his helper. And we use our imagination a little bit because we haven't got all the details. But Epaphroditus is traveling on that journey from Philippi to Rome, and partway on the journey, he falls sick. And the logical thing would be to give up the idea of going to Rome, to stop and wait and recover, or maybe go back to Philippi, send somebody else. But it's urgent. Paul needs the help. And so Epaphroditus presses on and very nearly dies. He almost died, Paul says, but God had mercy on him. His own life was not as important as the task that God, through the church, had set him on. He also risked his life simply by associating with Paul. Just imagine that we had a terrorist in the cells at Charles Cross. Somebody who'd done something or were suspected of doing something really bad. Would you like to be known as the person who went to visit them? Don't you think people would say, well, hey, she, he is as bad as they are. They must be in the same gang. They must be involved with the same stuff. You wouldn't be very popular. It was like that in those days. Paul's in prison, suspected of treason. If the verdict goes against him, they're going to start looking and say, well, who is it? Who are his associates? Who are the people he's close to? Hey, there's this guy, Epaphroditus. He's in the prison pretty well every day with Paul. Let's, let's get him locked up because he's part of the gang too. It was risky just to associate with somebody suspected of being a criminal. But again, Epaphroditus is ready to take the risk with his life to do what God calls him to do. What's happening is the Philippians have heard that Epaphroditus is ill. They haven't heard that he's recovered. Epaphroditus is worried about them. They're worried about him. And Paul takes the decision that Epaphroditus won't take and says, go back. Go back and put everybody's minds 
at rest. So how does Paul describe Epaphroditus? number of words. He says, he's my brother. It's this partnership thing again. Christian ministry is all about brothers and sisters working together. He describes him as my fellow worker. We've already thought that Christ's yoke is easy, but it's still a yoke. There is a work, a job, for every Christian to do. Oh, it may not be a job with a label on it. It may be a job of being a good parent or a good neighbor or a good friend or whatever, but there are things that Christ has for us that nobody else can do. And yes, there are jobs with labels on it that need doing as well. Helping with families' work and children's work and youth work and cleaning the church and serving at communion and being a deacon and being an elder and being church secretary and being church treasurer and all sorts of other things. Are you a fellow worker? And then he talks about Epaphroditus as my fellow soldier. And that's an appropriate image just at the moment, isn't it? All year we've been thinking about the First World War and the anniversaries. We come next Sunday to Remembrance Sunday. And so that picture of the Christian as a soldier is an appropriate one. And two things about soldiers, really. The first is that a soldier is under orders. Here we're back to this thing again. My agenda or Christ's agenda? I have never served in the army. I'm too young to have done national service, that kind of thing. I don't know how I'd get on. I'm a bit bolshy about taking orders. But in the armed services, you've got no choice. You're given an order, you have to do it. You don't say, well, sorry, it's not convenient today, I'll do it tomorrow. We're soldiers of Christ. We're in a battle. We're under orders. It's his agenda, not ours. And then... The other image that comes with soldiers is you you are in a war. We are in a battle. Life will be tough. Paul writes to Timothy in his uh, second letter to Timothy. He says this. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. It's about expecting that life will not be easy. Some of the things Christ calls us to do seem to be difficult. Yes, in the end, they're better for us than the other options. His yoke is easy and his burden is light, but it it seems hard because we're in a battle. There's a price. What price are we prepared to pay? And then he's described as your messenger. It's a little play on words here because the word is the word apostle. And Paul says to the Philippians, Epaphroditus is your apostle sent to me, Paul the apostle. Because that's what the word apostle means, someone who is sent. And there's been over the years a bit of theological debate about are there still apostles in the church? And if you know some of the house church movements, um, they have apostles in their leadership. Others, more conservative, say no, no, no. It all stopped at the end of the first century. There are no more apostles. Well, here's my theological take on it every Christian's an apostle every Christian is an apostle okay with a small a rather than a capital A because we're all people who are sent to do a task that God has for us and the question is where are you and I prepared to go for Jesus great to hear about two trips to Nepal next year I hope you've got lots of people signing up 
in some ways, actually it's quite easy to go off to Nepal for a fortnight or a month or even for a few years. I'm not rubbishing what people are doing, but in some ways, that's an easy way of serving because it's something different. It's obvious you're going into a new culture. You've got a, a role. But it is hard when the place that God sends us is our own home and family. When the place where God sends us is our own workplace or college or school. Well, the place that God sends us is our own neighborhood. Oh, it's, it's easy to be, in some ways, to be a missionary and known as a missionary. People expect you to talk about Jesus. So the people next door don't really expect us to talk about Jesus. And they think it's really odd when we do. But every single Christian is an apostle, one who is sent to do the work of Christ according to his interests, not ours, according to his agenda, not ours. So that's the question to reflect on. Whose agenda? My agenda or Christ's agenda? My interests or Christ's interests? Am I willing to serve like Timothy? Any job that needs doing, I'll do it. Am I willing to sacrifice like Epaphroditus? To give up not my life literally, but parts of my life that just need to be put to one side so that I can do the things that Christ calls me to do. Don't wait until life gets easier to serve. Don't wait till you finish college or the kids grow up or you get another job or you move or you're better trained or equipped or you're you never do it that way. But here this morning. Just ask God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to serve? Oh, those of you that are really busy, don't get on a guilt trip. The trouble with preaching something like this is people who are really busy and committed and, and serving Christ suddenly think, oh, should I be doing more? For some of us, God will say, you're doing great. But some of us, God wants to say just, hey, what about, I don't know what it will be conversation you need to have for somebody, a relationship you need to do, a job you need to pick up, whatever. But ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us to throw off the yoke and the burden of our own agenda, our own ideas. Help us to throw off the the yoke of other people's expectations of us. And help us to take on that light yoke of the Lord Jesus. That our interests might be his interests. That our agenda will be his agenda. Take us and use us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.